Okay, hello. I'm here today with Mark Budden. Um, hi, Ron. How you doing? Hi, Mark. How you doing? So you're based out in Singapore, are you? Yeah, I'm based in Singapore at the moment. Great. It's a nice great. sunny day here. <laughs> so um, Mark um, is, I, I first met Mark back, I think, in 1999, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, if my memory uh, is correct. And um, Mark has already always given me the impression of being extremely professional and serious at what he does. So Mark, why don't you tell us a bit, how do you, how do you define your, your profession or your art? What an excellent question to start off with. I think <laughs> I, I'll start off with, I'll start off by just sort of talking a little bit of an anecdote about how we first met, which is a, an interesting sort of icebreaker. Um, I first met you when you were selling your wares and literally going door to door and pushing um, security systems, which That's were right. in class at the time, the late nineties. And <laughs> I remember meeting you and just sitting there into you and just having this, um, fantastic experience where I was like this is exactly what we need in mainland China at the moment um, because what we are having headaches on where uh, essentially I was working for a design build contracting company and our job was to do turnkey delivery of mostly offices um, uh, for big corporates who are building their business in, in right. China and different cities and th those are really the and rough and tumble days of, of Beijing weren't they yeah, it was definitely wild west I mean you know, people were still driving around on bicycles. There were tumbleweeds going across the street. It, it was a, it was a different times. So it was we were we were pioneers, that's for sure, in that market. But in the late nineties, there was definitely a lot of excitement about China becoming part of the WTO. Uh, we were we were in the early stages of the throes of the first internet boom. Um, so there was a lot of foreign direct investment going on, and we were we were doing some pretty substantial office projects. You know. Um, mm -hmm. And a big part of um, the office and an ingredient there was, um, you know, the IT system and the security systems. Um, and, you know, building an office is quite a complex process. And working with a supply chain, which is maturing, it's best to say in those days in China, was even more complicated. So you had a lot of focus areas that you had to manage and cheerlead and, and get contractors to deliver things to a decent quality. But actually, one of the biggest headaches for me on projects at that time was working with the security providers. Now, the security providers at that time were big corporate security companies international firms who were very present in pretty much every market but mm -hmm. we we're finding the level of service we we're getting was not proactive it was uh very um ordinary it was it was not creative it wasn't responsive to the client's needs and in a dynamic time like in the in those days but the market was really asking for a company like that and so i remember sitting in in our conference room and you telling me a little about your idea and your vision and going this is what we need and i think if we if we look at today and what's going on in the world there's some relevance there and i think you know the security sector the security service uh, industry always needs that sense of recognizing the current situation and exploring what good looks like and what the potential is in a market and i think that's certainly what your firm did and you know it was a real exciting experience get you know seeing you then deliver what you said you could do mm. uh, on a project uh, admittedly it was an accident but uh, <laughs> <laughs> well that's a, that's a story for a different time maybe <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Um, but tell me, tell me, let's come back to, to, uh, to you well, um, again. How, how are you, how do you define yourself? 
because I, in my mind, I always sort of think of you in, in, in with different hats sometimes because what you do, like you mentioned, like there are a lot of moving pieces in, in any project, but you're not just involved in projects. I think you're a bit um, broader than that as well. So why don't you tell us um, about you know, how, how you define your, your profession? Yeah, so I've been 25 years in the real estate industry. Um, I started off... Um, in design and construction. So um, what we were essentially doing was, um, you know, doing a, a one-stop shop solution of um, taking uh, an idea that a customer had and then designing it and then and delivering it and handing over the keys. Uh, and that experience for eight years was fantastic because I got to wear the hat tractor, got to wear the hat of a, a design consultant and got to wear the hat of a business manager and understanding the dynamics and the, interactions which need to go on within the supply chain to make a successful project. And that was in the context of mainland China. Um, so of my 25 years experience, 17 years of them uh, were, were in mainland China. Um, and then um, I decided after eight years of, of working in that uh, field that um, uh, I, I felt the client needed more support and there needed to be a um, an owner rep, if you like, to, to, mm -hmm. to help the customer through and hold their hand through uh, the more complex, the, the, the fact that projects were getting more complex in the market and larger and sizable. And, you know, you couldn't simply have the client self-manage that. And um, I was inspired to set up my own business, which was focusing on um, client outcomes, uh, but really around delivering projects across a broad number of sectors. So we, we covered education sector so we did quite a lot of international schools um, and international organizations we did some embassy projects uh, we did retail projects uh, we did hotels um, F&B food and beverage projects the so restaurants and mm -hmm. clubs and things like that um, and we also did manufacturing projects which obviously you know that was a big part of um, you know China's growth in the in the 1990s and the early 2000s um, and in certain places, we continue to do a lot of corporate um, uh, fit-out work um, uh, for R&D, for offices, uh, for all manner of um, environment, interior environments. Um, yeah, what we would do is we'd go in and help the customer um, come up with a team to support them from the inception of the uh, business plan of what they wanted to deliver and then deliver that for them. Uh, and then also, in many cases, embedded people within the organization and helped them with the post-project um, modifications. Um, yeah, and the, the, the company that I set up was based around building that around customers. It's around not just sort of reacting to uh, tenders. It was around relationships. It was around building partnerships with, the, with multinational organizations and later on Chinese organizations and trying to grow with them uh, and face the challenges of the market with them um, and expand with them at the same time. And, and right. that model worked very well. And today you're doing pretty much the same, but at a larger scale, right? You're now at, as an, at a broad, like a pan-Asia scale for uh, large organizations. Is that true? Yeah, that's right. So today I'm, I'm working for a, um, a very large real estate company and embedded full-time in a uh, tech company, a very large tech company, <clears throat> and supporting their, the delivery of their projects across the Asia-Pacific, um, which, which includes anything from uh, as far north as Japan and as far south as, as New Zealand, but not inclusive of India. And, uh, lucky lucky you. <laughs> mm, I, 
Yes, that's a, an interesting market. But I have had experiences in India, and I really enjoyed those experiences. Um, pre- previous to um, this this role in Singapore I have at the moment, I was working uh, in Germany, but I was working as a global alliance lead for a big um, white goods manufacturer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, embedded by a big real estate company, and that was in a global role. So we're delivering projects, uh, all manner of projects in, in South America, North America, India, APAC, um, and are of a very different nature and a very different um, business climate. Um, so that, that, that was very interesting for me. And the perspective of working on that global role really showed me the experiences of working in a challenging developing market like China, which has gone from you know, very quite sort of uh, unsophisticated um, and uh, with a weak um, understanding of what good supply chain look like to something quite extraordinary today where they're world-class and many, right. many um, service provisions, you know, uh, particularly in construction. Um, so being, being a minor contributor to that is something I've always felt proud about, but then also then taking the sort of understanding of how to deliver a project and how to manage customers and solutions for customers. Um, and right. then applying that to places like Brazil or India, uh, was really challenging. And actually right, the, the, the market I found it most difficult was India. That, that was the most difficult market that I found. Yeah, in India is, is, always a, is always a handful. Um, that's interesting because it is, people don't, I don't think they appreciate the role that you play or somebody like you play in a project. You're not just dealing with all the moving pieces, all the various contractors, all the various people and personalities involved. And you have legal, you have construction, you have all sorts of various contractors you have the end users, and then you have the different environments. So working in Brazil is different than Japan, as opposed to New Zealand, et cetera. And the, there's so much value in that, which is, is pretty, it's pretty amazing. And um, again, I, I had, from my perspective, as growing up in, as a security integrator, I worked with various uh, folks uh, um, as well. And again, I, I say with, my, with full honesty, um, you're, you're one of the most serious and professional that I've ever met come with a lot of passion to the projects and it was it was uh, it was always um um it was always not just fun but it was it was uh it was really great working with you in the various projects so t- tell me mark um how, how how if you sort of look in the past 20 25 years till today how has have things evolved did you feel yeah so when when uh, we first met uh, i think we were at a point of um bit of a step up in innovation we are going from clunky keypads on on offices for access control very simple analog um cctv systems um and i'm i'm, sp- I'm focusing us around security so happy to broaden the topic but uh, <laughs> and then we went sort of we went into sort of like the convenience of, of access cards and a bit more automation around um, cctv and how that was then going from videotaped content to digital uh, digitalized mm-hmm. content um, and then we started to float around the, you know, the world of biometrics and sort of exploration. There was a real push for that, I think, which was coupled with, um, you know, the internet, initial internet boom, and then back and, and continued through, or to this day, it hasn't really sort of taken um, hold. Um, and I think what we're facing at the moment is another convergence where you're looking at uh, artificial intelligence. I remember sitting down with you and exploring with some of your supply chain, some possible solutions that were being developed in Israel for bomb detection and mm-hmm. things like that, where, you know, the, the computer and the operating system and the software was being developed to recognize where 
packages or objects were not moving and that was that was a consequence of you know the post um you know 9-11 world right. that there was a definite um you know acceleration there i think the interesting thing we're sitting at the moment with covid19 is um and whilst this isn't true for for all corporates um and i'm going to focus this on the on the customer side because they're key in terms of us mm-hmm. providing solutions and developing new ideas for them um we're seeing an interesting um parallel to i guess the global financial crisis of 2008 in, in global financial crisis 2008 um, the client the people driving the client's organization changed it went from i think quite exploratory and entrepreneurial and business leaders and people who understood the business and the people side of the were a bit the entrepreneurial and mm-hmm. commas um bean counters and finance people running the ship and that led to interesting outcomes one of the biggest was um you know right sizing from a, a look at facility in terms of right sizing uh back well you say, uh, say you're saying also, right excuse me you're saying right sizing what does that what mean? i mean by right sizing is uh and i again put the word right in inverted commas it's um sheet looking at information which which is available to you and applying that to then okay what should the size of our organization be in terms of headcount what should the size of our real estate portfolio be mm. based on this data not in the pipeline of projects that we're looking at the now that was the difference you know pre- there was a look ahead there was speculation there was a there was a sort of sense of um you know the the, the all streets align with gold we can go for it we're going to keep on growing right um and what what happened in 2008 was that they said no 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 we're going to we're going to be looking at austerity we're going to be looking at scaling back we're going to be looking at the data which is telling us what at the moment and what we saw then was this big surge in outsourcing a massive surge of outsourcing a tidal wave of it where customers are going okay we're not necessarily going to take the risk and hire people and we're going to hire in third-party consultants and that changed the way offices worked. also changed the way offices needed to be secure and environments needed to be secure so that was hmm. interesting change but the most interesting thing about that is that really from for the last 12 years there hasn't been a major change in terms of the exploration and the um the leadership i think this has been in some sectors a change in leadership, much more exploratory and, and entrepreneurial. But in others, it's very much been managed by data sets of, uh, of the current information and very strict at the quarter ahead. So that they're taking so many. And I think what COVID's done is it's put um, a different set of players in the, in the driving seat. Uh, what we're seeing uh, is that um, people who are sort of driving today as well, because it's the necessity of business continuity, uh, leadership and planning it's operations led that makes sense mm-hmm. um led or she or hse whatever you want to call it it's a health safety and environment the sort of teams who are very much going to be looking at the the well-being and welfare of um compliance team ethics and mm-hmm. in organizations security and that's super important. So corporate security are becoming much more important because they're the ones who are looking at resilience. They're the ones looking at the BCP. Often they're the ones who have a better handle on BCP planning than the operations, or they work in collaboration with operations and facility teams but, to own that side of things. But Mark, do you actually see that happening in, in, in the market? I see that decisions at the moment are being led with them having a, the, a bigger voice than I've ever seen them at the table. Now, okay, will that good. change? 
that's that remains to be seen but what does that mean it means that everything has been everything is very cautious at the moment i think that that's the right thing to do because there's a, a new normal on the horizon and people are trying to figure out what that is right. but it does mean that i think um exploration of new ideas of new um ways of approaching the delivery of of real estate solutions and security solutions which will protect them um are not being given the the clear mandate to innovate and to to explore what's good like and at the same time i think there is a need for this point in time for us to innovate and deliberate that we need to define what the new normal is. And so there's a little bit of conflict you've got on the client side, probably a much more cautious, open, closed-minded way of, it, of taking on new ideas. And on the supply chain side, there's probably a lot more people thinking, hey, we need to look at R&D big time here because you know the, the workspace of the future, the manufacturing space of the future, right. the school of the future, they're all gonna look very different and then have to have different needs. So how can we accelerate and change what we've done previously uh, and allow the the time that we can look back on well there's also there's also a lot of uncertainty so it's hard it's hard to make plans and to some to some degree but let me let me just comment what you're saying so look i i i agree with you i think that security directors should take a bigger role in the planning and um business recovery planning and, and all that comes with that unfortunately i've seen in the past that a lot of the security managers or directors were sort of focusing too much time on on what I would um, consider as less uh, critical, like system, like managing systems or managing contractors or doing these kind of things, as opposed to um, working with other directors in a company on business continuity planning or, or recovery planning or these, dealing with these large aspects of identifying and mitigating uh, true risk for a company. So this this may put them in more in the seat, which I I um I think that's great for for companies to do that, but it also means that everybody have to think more about this, not just the security directors. You know, big schools they're seeing that they don't just have to think about uh, contingency plannings in terms of um, facilities, but also in terms of how to teach students, right? And so a lot more comes out of that, which um, hopefully will make you know, organizations stronger as they go forward. I couldn't agree more. I mean, the agenda is going to be different if you've got the thought bubble of a security lead next to the thought bubble of a workplace lead. The thought bubble of security lead is going to be around about safety and handling people in a safe way and minimizing the spread of a virus. The, the workplace person might be thinking more in his thought bubble or her thought bubble of the experience of the user, the cultural tone of the workplace to uh, be a catalyst for uh, business access. Um, and those agendas are going to, I hope, will we'll meet up at the moment and hopefully there'll be a better awareness um, of those worlds and they'll, they'll sort of overlap. So maybe what we'll see is a slightly um, different um, brief coming from uh, clients around how they want to uh, set the tone for the, mm-hmm. the future of real estate. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This is all very much unknown and it's all speculation at this point. You- but I think it's really fascinating. Yeah. Do, do you think that um, companies, so, so there seems to be um, that, it's, it's, so there seems to be a belief that in the future, there'll be more acceptance of people working from home or remote sort of distance working or distributed um, teams. 
How do you view that and, and how, what trends are you seeing that are developing around COVID-19? And do you think that, um, do you think that companies will start reducing their office footprint uh, because of this? Um, it'll depend on the company. Um, it's interesting. Here, here's some interesting um, views that are all very much speculative and um, you know, unclear, but if we're looking, and I think there's another thing we've got to create here. There's, there's, um, I, I see this whole experience, this pandemic um, that we're in, in, in three phases, uh, particularly related to the real estate. The first phase is getting back to some form of normalcy in a safe and controlled manner. And that might be just reopening offices and getting critical people back in there to support the customers and to get business sort of going again. And that's your first phase. And the second phase, I think, is really going to be about experimentation and exploration and discovery. And that phase is all going to be around, okay, trying to define the new normal and making and, and being happy to make mistakes. And part of that component will be what does work from home look like for us? And I'll come back to that in a second. Mm -hmm. Then the third phase is, is what I would say is the new normal phase. So it's going back to normal densities within an office. It would be going back to... Um, uh, creating an office which is probably highly flexible and, and agile in, in how it um, can adapt to maybe a future threat. And I think that third phase is going to be defined by a pre or post uh, pre or post COVID nineteen vaccine. Mm. So if there's a vaccine, as China was speculating, they might have by the end of the year. That might be the point when we start to see things change. If the vaccine doesn't happen for four or five years, then, you know, like I think the, the quickest that the world's ever developed a vaccine is four years and that's for the months. Then, you know, we're, we're looking at this as being quite a long drawn out period and we'll have to explore and discover things um, over a relatively long period of time for what we're used to. So going back to the question on work from home, I think the, the most important thing that companies need to do and they're looking at this issue uh, also from a security perspective is profiling their people understanding the the psychology i guess of their people um, and the willingness of them to um, come back to the workplace and then to do any sort of re-emergence in the workplace in a gradual and controlled manner which you know again is tied to smart business continuity planning so not having everyone come back all at once from the same team but if anyone's working on the same team they'll probably be divided into two or three groups and not mm -hmm. be going back to the office on, on every day you know, how are you going to decontaminate the office and clean the office there might be different ways of doing that and there will be a whole range of people who want to continue to work from home because they are fearful because they're comfortable doing it and they can do it and it's been proven that it works um, or because they're high risk because they might have uh, be themselves at high risk to getting uh, a virus or they might have family members who are high risk and therefore they don't want to expose them to the risk around that mm. so it's an interesting question around you know what the new normality would be for work from i think that certainly we'll look back at this you know amazing uh, and scary social experiment around for work from home uh, and go, wow, it has allowed us to go, hey, we can do this. Um, we can work from home. The technology is at a point where it's allowed us to be functional. Um, but um, I think corporations will still require workspaces and environments to 
have their people get together and have face-to-face meetings and bump into each other at the, at the cafeteria or the coffee bar or the pantry or the water cooler and come up with those genius ideas, that, that emergence, that convergence of people within an office that creates some of the best ideas that ever been invented is right. so important. And you can't do that through at the moment through GBC. It's, you know, hard, it's much harder. Yeah. I, I, so my, just really quick, my view is that um, obviously companies are realizing that it's possible and they'll probably, they'll probably develop some sort of hybrid system where you can be a bit more flexible in terms of where you're working, but also have those, those um, sort of central office spaces you can go to and spend some time, maybe not, nine to five or nine to six type of you know environments, but still definitely spend some time. But it's interesting, I was reading articles about this, that those companies that had a culture of sort of control and oversight of their employees, those managers are going to find it harder to sort of let go. And they, they want to know, what are, what are my employees doing at home? You know, <laughs> they feel it's harder yeah. to manage. And that's a cultural issue that, that, um, that they will have to likely get over. Yeah, I think if you've got a very pyramidical, <clears throat> a pyramidical uh, culture in, in your organization, it will be difficult because there's a natural element within an organization like that of, of mistrust or, or wanting to have evidence that people are performing or are looking at that data. Right. Um, so yeah, I think there needs to be a paradigm shift in terms of how organizations get flatter. And I think that there's too flat and there's not flat enough. Right. Somehow the companies are going to have to find the right... Um, equilibrium so do you think do you think um just back to my original question do you think some companies may reduce their office footprint because of this they don't they think they can save money by not having such large office space or maybe they all have different a different design it'd be more like a we work style designer for example okay so uh, the size the size of the office should be you know built in conjunction with the business need and I think the uncertainty that many companies are facing, and this isn't all companies, some of the companies you know, that we're working with are actually growing in, the, in this, in this mm-hmm. environment, that their, their business is still increasing. That's true. Um, but a lot of companies are not in that lucky situation. They are seeing their business contracting and they are you know, feeling the impacts of a global recession. And with a recession, with a downplaying business, of course, the office space will have to naturally contract. So, um, if you look at it from that point of view in certain sectors, there's definitely going to be a contraction, but it'll be driven by business needs. It'll be driven because the consumer demand for this product or service that is um, being developed by that company is contracting, not necessarily the workplace itself is contracting. Um, I think then you've also got to look at this equation of pre and post COVID world, the pre COVID world. Yeah. I think you're going to see um, occupation in offices be a lot less, um, Dense. You're going to see people, you're going to see um, uh, physical distancing or social distancing within the offices. So people are going to remove or they're going to block off workstations so people are not on top of each other. And there will be quotas in terms of how many people can be in the office and not. And a lot of that will you know, play into the mantra of security pro- protocol and needs. So that's an mm. interesting one. Um, and, you know, how do you monitor that? How do you check that? You know, that will come into a operational space and a security space. So that will change maybe the way security and FM people will have to um, integrate um, and align. Um, and I think in terms of, you know, your comment on, on um, uh, WeWork, 
Really, really good observation. The interesting thing here is, you know, just before the, the virus hit, we work hit a big blow and, and a lot of these um, co-working environments were starting to be seen as a little bit of um, uh, maybe not a, pr a proven business need because they were just growing too quickly and, and the market need wasn't potentially there, uh, let's say. However, I think what we work and other spaces and, and also all manner of other companies have, have discovered is that there is a real need there for people. And I think what we'll see um, is probably some offices, and this might not be in a third party's environment, this may be the corporate environment of the future, which become more like a club. Um, um, like a meeting, like a central can, meeting place. Yeah. So company A, it might be in the finan financial sector, might be a bank, for example. Um, instead of having, um, you know, an office where everyone goes to, you know, walks in the cubicle and, and goes home, they'll actually go and connect and hub and, and experience and collaborate and then go back to home. Or they might, you know, convert their retail banking facilities into, um, you know, Near near from home work environments rather than retail banking because they don't need to have that type of customer relationship anymore. Right. There are all manner of things that might happen, or they might be taking you know um, space in in these sort of we work uh, co share places, um, and there might be a growing demand for those type of uh, businesses. So there's a lot of un, un question marks around it, but I think definitely there will be some shift, and some people will start to explore that. Um, as they want to empower and enable their people to continue to perform, but with with safety and certainty. Uh, and probably we'll see, I, I'm going to hazard that this is probably going to be also driven from a commercial point of view, that people will sort of go, what is the real justification of us paying premium rents in that downtown location? You know, real estate's always been about location, location, location. I think we're going to see a real challenge around that. And the location, location, location equation is going to be different. That formula is going to change post-COVID world. So you might see the office in, 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 in Manhattan be a lot smaller than it used to and be kind of like a touchdown rather than a big office, which is all about prestige and, right. you know, showing off to the customer. It might become much more of a space which is you know there for executives there for a touchdown for the people who live and work in that environment and you'll see more dispersal of smaller satellite offices um you know in in other environments and other um, um boroughs in new york so i mean that's the sort of trend we could see but uh, a lot of unknowns and it's not not really talking too much about security no but that's that's still that, that, well it's the general market is still it's still very interesting and how things will evolve in the future. And that totally think, makes sense. Think, yeah, for me, the, the interesting one, this is a pre-COVID um, topic, but the interesting, um, an interesting topic is cybersecurity. Mm. And I think when you look at security, security has always kind of had a convergence with workplace, makes sense. It's also a convergence with IT, that makes sense as well. Um, and I think what, we're going to start to see is, um, I, I believe, um, more of security thinking being installed into you know the IT world. Um, it'll be interesting to see how integrators and service providers who think like security consultants and um, and suppliers are going to have an influence on IT, the IT world, who don't think like that necessarily. Think of an IT manager. You think of someone who's leading the IT or, um, or business infrastructure for a business. 
they of course are thinking about firewalls and safety and the data protection of data but are they thinking about it in the same almost like a policeman's hat way uh, that a security vendor might have to be looking at it where they're thinking of layers they're thinking of faults they're thinking of points of entry all that sort of stuff now I think that there's definitely an element of that, but when you converge the physical and um, internal and external aspects of physical environments, um, I think there's an opportunity for integrators there. And certainly for some of the tech companies, we've been really exploring um, a pathway to security around any device within a built environment that has an IP address, and a lot of devices now do. Yes. A lot of them might be sitting in a um, in an office environment, and that office environment has had provisions from uh, the landlord or the building, and they may not even know that that device is in the ceiling transmitting um, data. Yes. And I think you know companies are getting more and more concerned about that now. You know, the COVID pandemic has is going to be a big distraction to the focus around this. But I think that's a very important area that I think we're going to see more and more companies take an interest in and protect um, and, ins- and ensure that every device within their built environment has um, some sort of security and that data isn't, um, it's not creating an access point for data um, to be hacked into. Um, so that's one aspect. The other aspect is around the potential of big data. <clears throat> And I, and I find it's quite funny, the concept of big data, um, because at first I was just like, well, what does this all mean? Can you explain big data to me? Um, and I, I, I always found it funny with people who are working in that space and they weren't able to articulate clearly. Well, it's one, uh, it's one it of those sexy about. words that people throw around. when they. Uh, it was a definitely a buzzword of, the, of what about, about eight years ago. Right. But, but um, I think eight years ago, it, 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 it still seems to be something that people are trying to figure out now. Um, you know, even even with you know thought leaders in in technology space, um, the potential of data in certain areas has not been fully realised. I think there's so much information out there that um, is, that's just natural. But I think we're getting to a point now with with the world of built assets and built environments that data is becoming more and more important um, in terms of how we can look at driving efficiencies and reducing spend and in creating enhanced experiences and creating safer environments for our people. And maybe even around detection of, maybe even around a detection of viruses, maybe around detection of, of bugs and things like that. Yes. Those are things that we need to, to consider that we could be using this. So I think um, when we're looking at um, the potential of big data, um, I think in, in build environments, that's a big area of opportunity for security integrators because um, there's an element there that you need to be corralling, if you like, the capture of that information and and channeling it in the right direction into whatever app might be developed or whatever right. environment on the cloud which is taking that information and processing it. Um, so I think that's a really interesting area which has been explored. Certainly we've been doing it on some of the um, projects I've been working on well, especially uh, as, as you have more sort of IoT, Internet of Device, of, uh, Internet of Things out there, everything, so you have more and more devices connected to the network in one fashion or the other. And those, all those are data points. And that's where the big data can come into play. Absolutely. And, you know, what's the value of that data? How can you turn that into something which is, you know, the so what part of the equation? And that's what I think big data hasn't really realized in the, in the real estate world. And I think we're starting to see that. I mean, 
uh, six years ago, I was working for a big logistic company, and this is all we're talking about. Uh, and we, we saw it very much as the next frontier. And we're still kind of in that space, to be honest with you, uh, yeah. in the industry, um, and still trying to realize what the potential is and how we can actually put it in front of the customer and make it work for them. Well, um, so this is what I'm talking about when I mean, you know, it's all about innovation. I, th- I, I hope at the moment we're seeing people starting to innovate, come up with new ideas and new approaches, because this is the time for, yes, for us to be cautious and to pause and to reemerge slowly. But it's also an opportunity for innovators and entrepreneurs to really look at redefining the future. Well, I'll tell you one thing that uh, I'm seeing from my side is that one of the um, aspects that have uh, sort of delayed this, in my opinion, is the fact that traditionally security system manufacturers were closed systems. They didn't play well with other systems. That was different from the IT world with everything is connect, can connect with everything else because there are common protocols. This unfortunately is still the, the way things work inside the security world, but we're seeing some gradual opening and we're seeing that you can connect more devices uh, to the underlying platform. And that hopefully will create more of this uh, sort of big data that, that you can see. So it could be everything from, you know, facility systems or other, other systems that are on the, on the, in the building. And hopefully that would help with this, with this overall trend. At the same time, you're seeing smaller startups that are thinking differently about uh, security systems and, and are trying to uh, approach it in a more modern fashion, as opposed to the way things were in the past, where it was all central around a system. You know, a, this is a core system. You can only connect these devices, and that's it. So, so there are definitely some trends moving around there, and 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 the 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 need for some sort of at least awareness of cybersecurity, like you mentioned, like everything from physical access into in a build area, or even to simple things like changing pa- admin passwords on 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 routers. You don't always see that. That, that has to be moving in that direction. I think one of the barriers that you just you, you hit on was is the fact that you know you've got two different worlds of developing this this information that's going to channel the data to something useful, and that's open source and closed source. And the innovative stuff is coming from a closed source, and there's a lot of IP around the hardware that's taking that information and and the software. Right. Um, I think what you know is going to help is if this moves into more of an open source platform where the data becomes you know. Uh, literally, you know, pub, uh, open humor um, interpretation and is channeled in, in a way which can, you know, accelerate, I guess, the development of some of these solutions to take big data and find what value is around them. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's, um, it's a really interesting space, but that's something I think we're, we're seeing as a frontier at the moment. Um, but for me, <clears throat> I, I always get drawn back on the topic of security to something that you and I were told in 2000 by a, a veteran in the industry. And, and, I, and I, again, this is maybe my bias by being a, someone with more of a workplace or real estate sort of, sort of background, but I think good security is invisible but effective. Mm-hmm. And I think what that means is you, you want the consumer to feel safe. You want the person who's going into any sort of building, no matter what, what, what type of building it is, you want them to feel safe. And you want that equation to also make them feel not intimidated or compromised. Um, so this idea of invisibility is actually, I think, more around a balance between um, making people feel protected, uh, but also not, um, uh, you know, that their personal um, 
that they're being compromised in any way um, or as a no, person. And uh, effective, well, it's got to work for the for the for the customer. The customer, the customer, the the corporation has a responsibility to keep their people safe. And in a you know post nine eleven world, I think that that added a whole new equation to it. I mean, we've seen corporates have issues with um, you know people coming in. And I remember in the early two thousand, I was talking about having um, alarms installed at you know the CEO's desk in case there was a a, a rogue HR like a, problem, like a panic, problem, a panic button, yeah. yeah, a panic button exactly. And I think now that's taken to the next level because there's a you know what what if the what if equation has got that much bigger, and so corporations have to deal with much more serious issues, and security becomes much more of a, right. of a concern. Um, and yet they want to create these environments. You see a lot of the tech companies creating. Uh, environments now which are very collaborative very open very soft um, you know, uh, which which are um, you know been emulated by others you know um, a lot of, a lot of um, companies out there are trying to move into that space whatever sector they're in financial institutions you go into a bank today that's just been opened up and you look back 10 years they look very different so <clears throat> I think people are trying to create those experience incentives and it plays back to that invisible effective um, mantra that was told to us by one of our customers back in the early 2000s. Uh, I still think that is such an important way of looking at security. Tell me, Mark, do you see any um, trends around the cloud with, uh, from your perspective? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, the cloud obviously ties into the concepts of, of big data. But for security, for real estate specifically, I'm seeing. So obviously, people. Okay, yeah. It's like it's like big data. People throw that word around. It's a buzzword, and some people don't even understand what it means or how it's how it's related. Um, I'm trying to okay. promote a push so, to so the using biggest, the cloud. Yeah. It's a good idea. Let me hear what you think. The really interesting thing for, for listeners to be aware of is just how. More and when I say cloud sector, I'm really talking about data centers. There is um, the data center business, the data center world is quite a low margin business for the companies that are in that space. Um, there's a huge amount of market share still um, calculated that hasn't been utilized. So what that means in, an, in, a, in a nutshell is that they can't build data centers fast enough to cope with the demand for storage space. So what we're seeing in the real estate world is that um, the companies who are trying to uh, create businesses around the cloud and attract customers to invest in their vehicles to house data, whether it's corporate or, or personal information, are really expanding quickly. And so the opportunities um, for security integrators and suppliers is that that's a massive growth market. It is low margin, and so probably with customers like that, they'll be quite demanding and um, <laughs> quite um, uh, watching their their, uh, their purse strings um, a little bit closer than, than other customers. But it'd be great; these those are great customers to focus around um, supporting. And because of the growth, there will be opportunities for them to you know just use single source suppliers. They will probably be looking to have more than one supplier support them. Um, so I think from a business opportunity, that's an interesting angle. Uh, of course, in terms of um, you know innovation and R and D, 
as as cloud as as, as storage space becomes more uh, uh, significant, there's an opportunity for more information to be out there, and that's about channeling that. And from a security point of view, how can you create um, programs and software which can take trends around that data, which are going to lead to value solutions and awareness and, and understandings of what threats there might be or what opportunities there might be in the world of security related to the corporate or organizational um, right. needs. We're seeing, we're seeing more and more um, companies asking for solutions to record video on the cloud or to have, um, instead of having um, even access control servers, instead of having them on their on-premise to have them on the cloud and um, so there's more, some innovation going on around there, but it seems like the larger companies are a bit hesitant in um, having a full-blown cloud solution. But look, the trends are pretty obvious. It's, we're going, everything's moving in that direction. And to try to fight that is, is, is fruitile, in my opinion. Yeah, um, we're definitely seeing that. I mean, just your, your standard office of SDS, um, you know, massive IT room. You have um, a lot of servers in there. Um, now, we're not seeing that at all in a lot of our customers. They're, everything is on cloud. Um, yeah, I've been working on uh, for, for some you know, various different, across different sectors where they've moved on to a, just transform the way they do business. Right. Mobility, yes, of course, there's a change in culture and shift. But um, a couple of where they were you know, quite old school. And they, they transformed and it really helped them change the culture and, and move them forward into the, into the future. I think it's a, it's a positive. I think it is the direct travel. Um, you know, what you're seeing more in offices now where people have migrated to cloud is focused on then physical infrastructure and business continuity. Again, you know, you're having rooms still there for, for generators or UPSs, but uh, not, for, not for data. Okay. Well, that's, uh, that's been very interesting, uh, Mark. Um, I think um, maybe I'll, I'll let you get back to your, uh, to your job, but um, uh, this, is, this is a fascinating discussion, and I, I hope um, I can get you on again sometime in the near future. It's always good talking to you.